0: Now we've been studying unexpected joy and unexpected places. Now we're gonna pivot to unexpected peace uh, based on chapter four, verses two through nine. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you this past week you just came from or the week that you're going into is a little more stressful than usual? Anybody raise their hand to say that's true? It has been true for me. It will be true this next week. Hey, I just um, want you to know that God invited you today to hear this message. This one is for you. He told me to give this as a gift just to you. And so we're going to look at five peace producers. Step number one is make unity the main thing. Now these first two verses we're looking at are such an encouragement to me. It's kind of like misery loves company. And sometimes, don't you feel bad that, oh, we Christians today, we just can't get along with each other. We have so many personality conflicts. Oh, the early church, they just always got along with each other 100% of the time. They just never argued. They all just sang kumbaya in a circle, holding hands, and got along 100% of the time. Nothing could be further from the truth. We're going to see that in these first two verses here. As a matter of fact, I want to show you a little clip. Of a movie that's coming out this Friday. I haven't seen it, but it's my favorite movie. Haven't even seen it yet. Called Christ the Apostle. And uh, in this uh, particular scene, Paul and Luke are arguing uh, with the early church about how to respond to the persecution by the Roman Emperor Nero, and they are having very spirited argument. And I believe that this is very true uh, to the kind of thing that happened even in the early church. Chapter four, verse two. We'll see another example of this going on in the church at Philippi. Uh, Paul writes in verse two, "I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche." to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, these were two women. Well, let's go ahead and read the next verse and then we'll come back. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, let's go back to verse two. These are two women. We don't believe from the context that there's any theological, uh, biblical, doctrinal issue going on here. These are two women that simply don't get along with each other. Either they have different preferences or they have different personality styles. But for whatever reason, they just don't click with each other and it's causing disunity within the church. And so he pleads with them to get along with each other. Uh, we don't know what their preferences were. Maybe Eodia liked the name Purpose Church, Philippi. And Syntyche liked First Baptist Church of Philippi. Uh, maybe Iodia... Uh, like a praise band with praise choruses, and maybe Cintike. Her favorite night of the year was the choir night of favorites that they would have there at Philippi, and uh, they would have their top ten favorites. And so they had different uh, preferences, or maybe they just had different personalities. We're all friends here; we can be honest with each other. How many of you have ever had a fellow Christian that just annoyed you? Can you guys raise your hands? Now, if they're here right now, would you just point them out? I would enjoy seeing who. <laughs> Who they are. And now the solution is the same for both problems to be of the same mind in the Lord. This word mind comes from the Greek word phreneo which means to set aside your personal differences, your personal preferences, your secondary preferences, and your personality style for the greater cause, which is to reach the world for Christ, to have the freneo, the mind of the Lord uh, that supersedes these other differences so that we could have unity within the body of Christ. Now, going on to verse three, he says, yes, I ask you, my true companion. Now, the Greek word, translated here companion, is suzuj, which means yoke fellow or partner, or in this case, companion. Now, it could be a proper name. That is, the guy's name could have been suzuj, could have been companion. His name could have just meant that and been that, or partner, or or yoke fellow. That could have been his name. Uh, We don't know. It's either a person, a third party that Paul is asking to intervene, or it's a guy by that name. Either way, He's asking somebody, a third party, to come in and help these women uh, because they are good women. These are not bad people. Look at them. They've contended at my side. They put their life on the line for the cause of the gospel. Along with Clement, we don't know anything else about him in the Bible. Uh, He's just here, but he seemed to be prominent in the early church. Along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These women were saved. These women were faithful. These women were committed. They just didn't like each other very much. And so he says, Freneo have the mind of Christ to set aside those things in order to accomplish the cause of Christ in the world. Here's the first insight of the morning. God blesses the church that is unified. God uses the church that is unified. God gives power to the church that is unified. Uh, Charles uh, Swindoll writes, when disharmony arises, between two people or two groups, there is some measure of fault on both sides. And this is so important to remember. Everybody, we always think in marriage or in friendships or at work or at school, you just have a tendency to to have an echo chamber in your own mind that I'm 99 or 100% right and the other person is 99 or 100% wrong. And so we've got to recognize that there's a measure of fault on both sides. Um, both parties have to be encouraged to see our own flaws, our own faults, our own failures, and to then meet on common ground the mind of Christ with a mutual willingness to listen to each other and to change. Now, um, this is a little bit esoteric, but I found it very helpful. The goal is not union, uniformity, or unanimity. The goal is unity. They say, okay, Glenn, what do you mean by that? They all sound alike. Union has an affiliation with others but no common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Now, we don't want that, do we? Do we want everybody in our church to look alike and to think alike? Absolutely not. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Now, sometimes that's possible, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes we will move ahead as a church even when we don't 100% agree on something. Here's the goal. The goal is unity. Unity. Unity, however, refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on the major points of doctrine. We agree in essentials unity and non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. We agree on the major points of what God's Word teaches—the clear things that all open-minded Christians can agree to—and then we choose on the secondary things that are not so clear, our personal preferences our personality differences, we choose on those things uh, to, to submit ourselves to the mind of Christ to accomplish what God has called us to do as a church. This is a little bit corny and a little bit old-fashioned, but I, I really like this poem. Uh, it's called The Perfect Church. I think that I shall never see a church that's all it ought to be, a church whose members never stray beyond the straight and narrow way, a church that has no empty pews Whose preacher never has the blues, a church whose deacons always deek, and none is proud and all are meek, whose gossips never peddle lies or make complaints or criticize, where all are always sweet and kind and all to others' faults are blind, such perfect churches there may be, but none of them are known to me. But still, will work. And pray and plan to make our own the best we can. Anybody want to say amen to that? Absolutely not yeah, be perfect, but we're going to have unity. And we're going to do like just the best we can uh, to the best of, uh, of our ability. Um, one other example that I love, and it is, again, maybe it's esoteric and too sports oriented. But at any rate, one of my heroes in leadership is Coach Phil Jackson. used to be coach of the Lakers. Uh, this guy, to me, really had a knack for what we are talking about. He was kind of like the Sue Judes uh, that, um, <coughs> excuse me, that Paul is talking about here. Hey, can you help these two people get along? <coughs> because he had to help um, his own Eodia and Syntyche to get along. Here they are. Let's show their pictures now. Here's Eodia, <coughs> and here's Syntyche, and. As long as Phil Jackson was able to get them to play for the front of the jersey rather than the back of the jersey, what did we have here in Los Angeles? We had rings, baby, is what we had. We had titles. But as soon as they were no longer able to do that, their personality differences were so strong, their personal preferences were so strong that Shaq had to leave and go to another team. It, it took a while. There was a, a gap there before we had more championships. And so this is the same thing that's true within the church. We need the yodias and uh, those we need to get along, <laughs> set aside the name on the back of the jersey for the name of the front of the jersey in order to accomplish what God has called on us um, uh, to do. Uh, now, step two, worry about nothing. Worry about nothing, verses four through six. And now we're going to go back to our kind of unexpected joy Uh, theme, which is finding joy in unexpected places. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He may have even been writing this uh, from death row. So it's unexpected, a guy (coughs) that's writing from death row. (coughs) Um, By the way, we're going to turn this on Satan. This is highly annoying, I know. I feel great, but it's irritating to you. But I tell you what, Satan's going to use it to distract us. We're going to turn it on him. And every time I cough, Use that as a chance to say, how does this apply to my life? How's that? Okay. So use that. It's like a commercial break where at Wild Glen Coffees coughs, I think, now how does this apply to me? Okay? We're gonna turn the tables on him. Everybody with me on that? All right, here we go. Unexpectedly, from prison, maybe even from death row, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Verse five. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, this is so interesting. And this word is a beautiful word, gentleness. Why? Because the Lord is near. Now, it carries with it the idea that God is always listening to all of our conversations. But along with that, it carries with it the idea that Jesus is about to come back. And the moment Jesus comes back, our differences are going to look really small and trivial. The things we differ about as Christians are just going to seem so small When Christ returns and sets all things straight. And so he says, you do not want to be harshly ripping on a brother and a sister when he shows up. He says, let your gentleness be gentle with each other in your differences. Because the Lord is near. And when he shows up, he doesn't want to find you ripping a brother or sister on some secondary issue. He wants to find you being gentle. Gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, verse 6 We're actually going to go through this three times. We're going to do this verse one way and then emphasize a different part and then a different part. Do not be anxious about anything. So the first step is stop worrying. Worry about nothing. Uh, Worry, the definition of worry uh, that Rick Warren gives us is worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for me to have. Let's go to the next there, uh, to the quote by Rick Warren Rick Warren, worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended uh, for me to have. Uh, They've done research on worry, and they have found that 40% of the things we worry about never happen. Uh, They almost are impossible to happen. Uh, 30% are concerns from the past that we can't do anything about anymore. 12% have to do with health issues that are out of our control. 10% of the things we worry about are so insignificant that even if they did happen, it wouldn't matter in our lives. It would really make no difference because they're just not all that significant. That leaves 8% of our worries are things that we can actually do something about. Now imagine if we took that 100% of the worry that we worry about 100% of those things, everything on that list, and we take 100% of our worry. What if we hone that down, that 100% of energy that we put into worry, to the 8% of things that we can actually do something about. Any of you students here? Any of you have a test that you're worried about? You take all your worry and you focus it on beginning to study for that test. Uh, Do you all have uh, a project that you're worried about at work? We take all of our energy and put it into actually starting that project. Uh, Do we have worries about our health? We take all that worry energy and we focus it on, on exercising. And so then we have less worry and then we have greater effectiveness in the areas that we actually can change. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 34, uh, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, here's our next insight. Peace comes from living uh, one day at a time. And then step number three is pray about everything. So let's go back to verse six once again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now it is killer to stop a bad habit. I mean, I've got a lot of bad habits and it is hard to stop them. But it is more doable to replace a bad habit with a good habit. Do you find that true in your life? It's hard to stop a bad one. But it's easier to replace a bad one with a good one. Now, I have the bad habit of worrying. And let's just see, we're all friends here. We can share with each other. My hand's gonna be the first up. How many of you have a tendency to worry? Now, I want you to know, you have a built-in advantage here. You have a built-in advantage. Because if you're a worrier, it is an automatic reminder to pray about things. Don't be anxious about anything, but the moment you begin to be anxious, but in every situation by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Uh, Tina Tong, who's here on the front row, supplying me with all kinds of drugs to get me through this morning. Uh, By the way, we are a a drug-addicted congregation. I've gotten so many super remedies here today. Look at all these. Uh, Okay, I got a yellow one. I got a greenie. I got a brownie. I've got a fisherman warfy. I've got something in a package. Uh, that says uh, not legal this side of uh, the, the south of the Canadian border. Uh, at any rate, um, I got all kinds of stuff here. I got my tea going on, and so we got. So, anyway, what Tina does so much to get me organized, and she's got my Google Calendar programmed into my phone, so it has a little alarm, a little ding that reminds me 10, an hour before something's supposed to happen and 10 minutes before something's happened. I deprogram it for Sunday mornings to tell me when the end of the sermon is. That time, she's not allowed to mess with that, okay? Don't tell me when the end of the sermon supposed to be Tina. But everything else, there's my little alarm. And the same thing is true. You have in your phone a little, a little beeper that says, remember this to do this thing. And so worry is a form of reminder to do this thing, which is to pray about that thing instead of worry about that thing. It can actually enhance your prayer life, also in spiritual warfare. What Satan wants to do in our lives is to get us so worried about everything that we lose our joy. But if he begins to, in spiritual warfare, begins to see that every time he makes us worry about something, we start praying about that thing, he's gonna get his hands off of us. He's not gonna mess with us anymore because he doesn't wanna do anything that is gonna cause us uh, to pray more. Now, the more specific what we pray about the more powerful what we pray about, this little word here, petition, is from the Greek word to say, which means a specific, detailed request for help. When we specifically say as we're driving to school, Lord, help me to get something out of this particular class that I need to get out of it. A petition, very specific, as we're going to work, Lord help my boss to be open-minded, he or she to hear what I have to say on this particular issue, or help me to be open-minded if I have to hear what they have to say. A specific petition. The more specific we make it, the more powerful we make it, the more faith-building it is when we see that thing uh, take place. First Peter 5, verse 7. Peter says it this way. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Uh, they've done a study of this and actually exercise in your life is a one-for-one investment. That is, for every hour you exercise, you will get that hour back at the end of your life. So theoretically, you can't waste time exercising because every hour you put in of exercise, you'll get that hour. I got a better deal for you. Life insurance um, researchers have discovered that the average church attender, the average person that attends church regularly will add an average of 5.7 years to their life. Aren't you glad you came to church here today? It doesn't matter if the preaching's boring or if the guy's coughing through half of it. You're gaining 5.7 years by being here, all right? They've actually broken it down more, and it's actually not a one-to-one ratio like exercise. It's a 13.4-to-one ratio. For every hour you spend in church, you will add 13.4 hours to your life. How's that for a deal? Just come here and get a good nap and then go home. It works out great just by being here. Now, here's why I think it happens. Not because you nap, but because we're in an atmosphere where we're reminded reminded, through the worship, uh, through the preaching, through the prayers, through God's word, through the choir singing, we are reminded of this truth. There is no problem that is too big for God's power or too small for God's concern. And when we walk in here, my problems are this big and my image of God is this big. But by the time I walk out of here after worshiping and after spending time in God's word, all of a sudden, my problem seems smaller by comparison because my God seems bigger by the time I leave. Anybody want to say amen to that? And we walk out of here and we got a bigger view of God and we got a smaller view towards our problem and we realize there is no problem that is too big for God's power and too small for God's concern. Uh, Jesus said in John 16, verse 24, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, you'll receive, and your joy, your unexpected joy will be complete. And then step number four, thank God uh, for all things. Uh, Back to verse uh, 6 again. I'm sorry. Thank God. With thanksgiving. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18. uh, Paul says there, give thanks in all circumstances. Not necessarily for all circumstances. I don't believe we have to give God thanks for cancer or for a tough divorce or through the loss of somebody that we loved. But give thanks in all circumstances. Not all things are good, but God can work for the good in all of our circumstances. So give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You think of past things you can thank God for, and be thankful, and if you do that, then it'll encourage you to be thankful in the present, that maybe, just maybe, God is working in the present the way he's worked in the past. Here's our insight, there's always something to be grateful for. And then step number five, to think about the right things. Uh, Verse eight, skipping a verse to verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Our final insight is this. Whatever I think about is what I am becoming. And here's the promise if we do these five things. Verse seven, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, Philippi was a military community. It was a Roman colony. It was a military outpost for the Roman legion. There were many retired military personnel there. There were many current military personnel here. And this is from a Greek word that is a very clear-cut, strong military term. It carries with it the idea of a detachment of soldiers who stood guard over a city. Do these things and the peace of God will send a detachment, five detachments of soldiers of these five things we've looked at will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so this series has been about finding unexpected joy in unexpected places. And this message has been about finding unexpected peace in unexpected places. Maybe this week that you go into and it's tough, and it's stressful, and there's a part of you that dreads it, but I believe that as we look to Christ and as we put these principles into place that we will find unexpected peace in unexpected places. And if we do that, we become unexpected peacemakers. I believe that God is calling on each one of us to reach out to the Eodias and Syntyches at work or in church or in our family or, or that we know among our friends And to be unexpected peacemakers doing something the radical Jesus way, the reckless Jesus way. Uh, I love that song where it says his love for us is reckless. He'll kick down every wall. He'll shine a light in every shadow. It's one of my favorite new praise songs that we do. His love is reckless. And when we receive his reckless love, we turn around and we give that reckless love to others. And we bring unexpected, reckless love, which brings unexpected, reckless peace in unexpected places as unexpected peacemakers, and that's what God has called on us to do this coming week.